On this episode, I'll talk about the discovery of Kylie Rodney, how pre-crime might be part of our future. I'll tell you why August 22nd is a special day in Unfound's existence, and I'll cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including why I am a teetotaler. I'm at Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for August 22nd, 2022. everyone. Sorry I am a, uh, a minute late, but I forgot I had to do something. Um, I should have done it uh, a little while ago, uh, but uh, I'm here now. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, how's everybody doing? It is August uh, 22nd, 2022. That's a lot of twos. Lots of twos in that date today. Hope everybody's having a uh, a great start to the week. Of course, the summer is winding down. Of course, here in Florida, it's summer all the time. You know what I mean. But I have a fantastic live show planned for you tonight. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Lots of stuff to talk about. And uh, But I want to start off by reminding all of you, as you are watching tonight or listening, Please give this video a thumbs up. If you are uh, listening through some podcast platform, please give this uh, podcast Unfound Live a five-star review. That certainly helps us. And like this uh, video, give it the thumbs up. Subscribe, of course, the little button right down there. If you are not yet a subscriber, please consider doing so. Hit the little bell button as well. So you are alerted when we upload videos or do live shows such as this one. And then if you are feeling uh, generous, maybe you can hit the join button right down here. And for the low, low, low price of 10 cents a day, you get stuff that other people don't. And who doesn't like, who doesn't like that? So there you go. Getting that all out of the way. And once again, uh, Thank you all for making time on your Monday night for this live show. And anybody else who's catching this in the replay, thank you for giving uh, Unfound Your Time then as well. Let's see who's in here, and we will jump right into all of this. The Real coming to us from Australia. Good to see you. The Real gets in first. Uh, Nephew Charles. What's going on, Charles? Screaming, how are you? Karen says, hello and happy first interview anniversary. I'm going to talk about that. Uh, thank you, Karen. There's Hope. What's going on with you? Screaming, reminding everybody to give it the thumbs up. Hello, Kathy, Jasmine, Twinkle. Twinkle doing some fantastic work out there. Thank you, Twinkle, for all your work. Coffee, good to see you. 
And uh, Cherie coming back in tonight after a week off. Good to see you, Cherie. Thank you for moderating tonight. And Barbara. Hello, Barbara. How are you? And Stacy. And Fishing. Hey, Ed. Well, hey, hey, Fishing. How are you? Thank you all for tuning in tonight. A lot of stuff on the agenda. You know me, uh, I always like to come over-prepared. In fact, pretty much every live show, even though we go for two hours, uh, there's stuff that I still don't get to. Some of it makes it onto a future Unfound Live, and some of it just doesn't. It's kind of timely stuff, and if I can't talk about it that night, then uh, maybe it just wasn't worth talking about anyway. But... uh, So I got a lot of good stuff lined up. So let's start where I usually do, and that's with personal things going on in Ed's life, at least as personal as I want to get. Of course, it's always PG, and we uh, stay away from any risque subjects, not that there are many things like that in my life. Uh, Disc golf. uh, Played this past weekend. Didn't play very well. Uh, I think it's a lot of a combination of a lot of things put together. Uh, I'm not that disappointed in it, even though the PDGA rating for the round was not good. Um, the fact is I went out and played on Friday right in the heat of the day here in Florida. And that probably took a little out of me more than I realized. I uh, went over with my buddy, Kevin played over at Cliff Stevens. I played well. But we were out there for two and a half hours and we started at like two o'clock. In fact, I, we started right around the time the uh, podcast went uh, public on Friday. And we were out there, like I said, we played all 18 baskets and uh, throwing sometimes throwing multiple shots. And so we were out there for a while. Probably shouldn't have done that, but it was good to see him. And we hadn't played around together in a long time. And uh, he was giving me some pointers on my technique. So as I think I wore myself out a little bit there. On top of that, I did not sleep well on uh, uh, Friday slash Saturday morning. Probably because I knew that I had to get up so early to make it over to the course in Claremont. But I knew I was going to have to be getting up at 530 in the morning anyway, which didn't help. So I probably only got like two to three hours of sleep. And then on top of that, I have only played that Claremont course once before, and it was over a year ago. And it ended up, when I played it, I played it, didn't play the right tees, didn't play to the the same baskets. So really, it was like playing the course really for the first time. So that all counts for something. It all added up. And I didn't play that. I I played an intermediate. I think I finished ninth out of 15, which is not good. And I certainly could have shot a little better. Given what the winning score was in intermediate, I was not going to win anyway. Probably could have shot like three or four strokes better. I missed some putts and things, but still just didn't feel like myself out there. Played with a fine group. Nope, complaints there. But just to show you how tired I was, that Claremont is about two hours away. It's, well, I I didn't, the way I went over there is not the way I came back. But to get there, you really, most part, go take the I-4 going toward Orlando, and then you get off one of the exits, and you go up kind of in a northeast direction, north and then east direction. 
Well, on my way home, and so I was driving home, I don't know, around noon on Friday. I'd already played. We teed off at about 8.30. We were done by, it took a little while, maybe 11.30, kind of hung up maybe for a couple minutes. But, you know, somewhere around noon, I'm driving home. The last half hour of that drive, I could barely keep my eyes open. (laughs) And I'm kind of used to that anyway, especially with long drives, having driven to Illinois and having all the times to Pennsylvania and back from Florida. You kind of get used to that, but you never get used to it when you're having trouble staying awake at like one o'clock in the afternoon driving, which is, you know, usually it's like three in the morning and it's dark. Here is the the sun's blazing. It's 90 degrees out. And I'm telling you, it was one of the toughest last half hours of a drive that I've had. Did did not even come close to falling asleep at the wheel, but I'm telling you, it was tough. So that just kind of shows you um, how I didn't get enough sleep the night before. And probably I was not physically and mentally at my best on Saturday. I like that course. I wouldn't say I love it. Nice course, probably could grow to like it a lot more, but I would have to play it a lot more. Um, So didn't play that great. Maybe I should have expected that. No big deal. Um, There are, you know, reasons, right? That's what we say in the 21st century, reasons. But I got over there. It was kind um, kind of a charity event anyway, although it was still a PDGA rated round. Um. And by the way, it's shot even. The winning score in intermediate was seven under. The funny thing is, had I played MA50, probably, I don't, I don't think I would have won, but I think I would have had, you know, there were like maybe 10 guys in that division. I bet I could have come in third. So intermediate was a lot tougher this weekend than MA50 was. So... But uh, we're going to continue to play intermediate until I get enough points to qualify for Worlds next year. So that's what's going on in my disc golf uh, life. I did go out and throw today, though, right in the heat of the day as kind of a workout. Two hours over Taylor. Felt good. Feel good now. Probably sleep well tonight. And I'm kind of working on some new form and some things that my buddy Kevin was pointing out to me on Friday. So that's what's going on disc golf. Also, watch some live disc golf. Uh, this weekend on the Disc Golf Network. That's something you have to subscribe to. And I think they would do a really nice job there. And really, disc golf is the only sport that I can say that I reliably uh, watch these days, pretty much. I don't watch baseball anymore. Um, I don't know how much football I'm going to watch this year. However, Kenny Pickett gets to be the Steelers quarterback. I probably will put in some time there. I don't watch basketball and everything, but you put disc golf on the disc golf network. I'm watching it. It'll I'll put it on the big TV here on the smart TV doing my work and it's just fantastic. So there you go. Uh, next story if we're going uh, from the life of Ed Denzel in here in August of 2022, by the way, can you believe it's been three weeks since my birthday? Uh, no, uh, no FMX star. No, I I'm not into that. Uh, thank you for deleting that. I am certainly not into that. I know why you would ask that, but it's good to know that, uh, and what the comment is that Sheree just deleted. Thank you, Sheree. 
is that disc golf does have a aura around it as being kind of a stoner sport. And it's certainly how that's how it got started. But that really has changed. Uh, I can tell you this. And as you know, I don't do any of that stuff. But I will tell you this. Having played, been playing for about 10 years now, there is a lot less of the smoking of the, of the weed and everything that goes on now than was 10 years ago. A lot less. At least here in Florida. And I think it's because uh, you just have a new generation of people playing it. And there are more true athletes getting involved in the sport. And in fact, you can see that at the professional level. The 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 the, the, the level of competition. Uh, no, that's all right, Sheree. Yeah, uh, that's fine. You deleted that. That's fine. Um, you know, it's kind of, you know, I don't know, but it's changed. You can even tell at the professional level, the, the, the level of play has so greatly increased in the last 10 years. Why more, more athletes are getting involved. There's now more money involved. There's more people taking care of their bodies and, and all of that. And it's just kind of gotten away from that alternative kind of sport getting started in the 70s into the 80s. Um, it's just changed. I, and I, you know, once again, having played for about 10 years now, I've seen it. There would be times, you know, back in the day that uh, every tournament that I went to, you would see guys going off and doing this and doing that. I will tell you these days, you don't see a lot of that at all. And I'm, I'm around, you know, I don't know if people, I think a lot of those people who are doing that just don't play anymore. In fact, I could say overall, you know, there are a lot of players who I played with 10 years ago who don't play anymore. I'm one of the few guys left, at least amateurs, who's still playing 10 years later after 2012. Maybe that has something to do with it. Um, so, um so what F- FMX star posted about disc golf and wanting to smoke a bowl and everything else, as all of you know, I don't do that stuff anyway, no matter what sport or anything. I've never gotten into that, but that is, it's just changed. I can even notice that um, even the club that I go to on Sundays where it's even a way a lot more relaxed, there's still some people doing it not as near as many as maybe seven years ago. Things have just changed. I don't know. Don't know. Let's move on. Uh, kind of a weird thing happened on Saturday night. Now, what happened was on Saturday, after I got home with from the disc golf uh, tournament, uh, I took a snooze. I went to bed at about 2 in the afternoon, and I got up around 6 or 6.30. And I was doing some work, and generally I'm working like over that area. There's a couch over there. And really, usually I just have most of the lights off in the condo. Usually, I, sometimes I work in the dark. And so it must have been around eight o'clock. I get up and I go over here to the kitchen, which is right on the other side of the screen here, and I go to flip on the light, and the light doesn't come on. None of the lights. And there's like one, two, three, four, five lights in the, and none of them come on. 
And then I notice that the microwave is not plugged in. Then I notice that these hallway lights here in the, the chandelier chandelier above me won't come on. I'm like, what is going on here? There's a breaker box over here. I open it up. None of the breakers are flipped. The weird thing, though, is none of the electricity works in the kitchen, but the refrigerator is on. <laughs> if that makes any sense. I go into the spare bedroom where I used to do the live show. None of the lights work in there. I go into my bedroom over here. The, the light for my bedroom will come on, but the bathroom and the shower room, those lights won't come on. Now, they're all on different circuits, and they're all on different breakers in the box, and I'm like, what the heck is going on here? So it was like like this half of the condo, Nothing was working except for the refrigerator, but everything behind me was fine. The video games, electricity was fine. TV, Wi-Fi, uh, that light you see right there, all of it was fine. It was just everything on this half of the condo wouldn't work. So finally, around 11 o'clock, after just not really knowing what the heck is going on. I went down and we have a security guy down there and I'm just, I went down there to see if anybody had come down to, you know, seemed like something weird was. And as I was going down there, I noticed, you know, some of the lights weren't on in the parking lot. And then I noticed the apartment complex across the, the road, there were no lights on over there. And I started finally putting it all together that what had happened is they had some sort of power surge in this area and we did have a storm that rolled through on Saturday while I was taking a snooze. So I'm thinking that lightning struck something and it kind of fried certain things or whatever. And so in this entire building, 1340 golf Boulevard, like half of the, like every condo, half of the stuff worked and half the stuff didn't electricity. It's so weird. But it was really, really uh, weird. And one of the weird things was that this one uh, light fixture that's right kind of near the front door, you could flip the light on it. It would not light up. It would come on very, very, very dim. It was so weird. And I have a lava lamp right here. It was fine. It's right off here to my left. It was fine. It was just unpredictable the things that you would see that would work and would not work uh, in this condo. So it was, uh, uh, Charles says, weird. It was certainly weird. And, you know, I don't know what to make of it. Now, this building has gotten hit by lightning before and kind of fried some things. And, um, and in fact, when I went to talk to the security guard, when he finally let me know, yeah, Duke Power's been out here and, there, you know, a lot of people have uh, come down to talk to me and about what's going on. Um, the generator, this building actually has a generator, huge generator. So if we get hit by a hurricane and the power goes out, the generator will come on and it provides certain functions. Running the elevators certain lights i think the air conditioning in every condo only certain things will work and that's the other thing i noticed when i got down to the first floor i could hear that generator going and of course except for them testing it once in a while it's of course never on so that was another 
thing kind of let me know, oh yeah, something's going on with this building. And it was going on with the other building next door and across the street. So it was, um, it was a weird night. And so I ended up going to bed anyway. Luckily the air conditioning was working. Cause if it wouldn't were they going to be a little, it's going to be a little hot, but I woke up the next day and all these lights were in here. I had flipped the the switches on all these lights and everything and never shut them back off as I was going, trying to figure out what was working or what wasn't. And so when I woke up on, uh, what it in Sunday morning, all these lights are on, you know, that's kind of weird too. And the other thing that's weird about when this happens is that I have two like, fire or smoke detectors in this condo. And you should know because this is a condo building, there are actually sprinklers, you know, in here. And they react weird to electricity. That if they aren't getting the proper amount of electricity, they will like hum or buzz or things. And so that was going on. That's what should have tipped me off that there was some ongoing big electrical problem. This one over here, would just hum and just lightly buzz and it would go away and come back. Like I said, electricity. So weird. So that was something interesting uh, from Saturday uh, night. And I guess, you know, if we ever do get hit by a serious hurricane, it's probably what it'll be like for that too. The generator will kick on after this thing blows through and knocks out all the power and we'll still have certain functions, but not, uh, everything. It'll be something like that. So, uh, once again, if you are watching, please give this video a thumbs up. I can see how many people were in here. I see some of you have not given your thumbs up to this video yet. Uh, whether you're on your phone, laptop, desktop, tablet, whatever TV. I know some people watch this live show on the TV. Please give it uh, a thumbs up like this video. If you could, Moving on, uh, some of you being that this is uh, supposed to be a true crime uh, show, we'll get to that shortly, uh, you should know uh, that I now have 51 episodes of Columbo DVR'd. <laughs> um, it's, uh, you know, I'm a big Columbo fan, and there are two particular channels that play Columbo now, the Cozy TV and Sundance TV. So what I'll do is I'll go into the search and find out which ones are coming up. And if they're ones that I don't have saved yet, I'll, of course, uh, hit the button to record them. I'm up to 51 episodes, and I think I think there are about 70-some episodes. So I got still got about 20 more to go. Unfortunately, one of my favorite ones has still not come on yet, and that was the very first one, Prescription Murder. So I'm still looking for that one, but uh, a lot of the other ones that are my favorites, like Troubled Waters, Candidate for a Crime, um, Salute to the Commodore, um, Now You See Him, Now You Don't, uh, some of those, Publisher Parish, uh, those ones, um, you know, I've gotten a lot of those uh, recorded now, like the one that Steven Spielberg directed. And, um, so I got a lot of them DVR. I like saving them. And so I can just watch them anytime 
uh, that I want. I'm still continuing to watch Seinfeld, though. I think I'm on my third time through uh, the entire Seinfeld series on Netflix. So 51 episodes on my DVR of Columbo. I don't know if anybody uh, can beat that, but I do know that uh, we do have a lot of Columbo fans out there because every time I bring up Columbo, people always do message me or say something about uh, Columbo, and I I think maybe that's uh, kind of the demographic. Maybe uh, Unfound has a lot of listeners who uh, were of a certain age, when Columbo was coming out in the 70s into the 80s. Of course, you know, when Columbo came back in the late 80s, those episodes, uh, the, the, the aficionados of uh, Columbo are not a big fan of those ones that started coming back out in the late 1980s. I have to tell you, it they more seemed like a um, a money grab for Peter Falk. You know, he was a producer by that time on it. And I think they did well. Of course, they made many episodes through the 90s into the 2000s. But it's those 70s episodes that are considered the, you know, the creme de la creme. Uh, another good good one that I like is uh, Try and Catch Me, which um, it's uh, the, the killer is a, uh, an author who uh, you know, she believed that her, her daughter – or no, her niece was murdered by the niece's husband, and so she traps the the the, the nephew by marriage in her vault, and he suffocates to death. And of course, Columbo has to figure out, you know, that she did it. That's one of my favorite ones. Ruth Gordon was the killer. That's the actress's name. That's a fantastic one. So uh, I just love putting them on in the background, as long as I don't have to do any writing uh, for unfound, for example, if I'm putting together maybe uh, an interview outline or I'm doing, you know, trying to track somebody down or if I am, you know, messaging people, you know, looking at disappearances, like on the Charlie project, um, you know, I'll, I'll have maybe Columbo on or Seinfeld on. But if I have to do any writing like for the blog, I can't have anything on. I really have to really, really, really concentrate. So I can't have any audio or video going on. But for a lot of the other things that I do for the podcast, like putting this outline together for the live shows, uh, very common that I will have Seinfeld on, Columbo on, Star Trek, something like that. And I have a lot of movies DVR too. I have uh, Dowen for Murder. Hunt for Red October, Network. I have a ton of stuff on DVR now. So I'll maybe pick one of those things and I'll put that on uh, for just so it's not completely silent in here when I don't need it to be silent. Uh, what's everybody saying here? Charles says, Perry Falk was great and everything. He was. Um, Chris, people may forget he was in The Princess Bride right, right at the beginning and the end. Uh, he was nominated a couple times for Academy Awards. He was in that movie Made with John Favreau, I remember. Hello, Iman, by the way. Hello, Paula. Good to see you, by the way. Um, there's Hope. Are you saying we're old? Ha <laughs> The Streets of San Francisco is my favorite investigator show from that time period. You know, I, you know, the 70s, I was single-digit age. Uh, certainly know the show. 
certainly know that Michael Douglas uh, was in it. Um, but uh, really don't know, can't remember any real episodes. There's hope and screaming saying Ruth Gordon was mod. Yep. She was uh, the older woman and Harold was that young kid. I've seen that movie. Uh, that's certainly true. Screaming. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a movie. This would have been, that movie came out before she was on Columbus. She was on Columbus in about 1978. And I think that movie came out about 1972, 73, somewhere in there screaming. Thank you. Yes, Ruth Gordon. All right, let's move to the true crime unfound um, part of this live show. Now that we're about a half hour in and I've gotten kind of the personal uh, anything going on in my life uh, out of the way. At least anything that I really want to talk about. Um, let's start here as I usually do. Let's talk about the Milda McQuillan poll. I thought this was a um, an interesting episode. We have a, you know, I don't know how many facts we have, but we certainly had a lot of information. I, I thought that Lorelai and Joe did fantastic. I thought they worked really well together in the interview, and I know for me the the host, uh, it's, um, it's a little, takes a little more, uh, you work when you're interviewing two people who are in two different locations. Now, if you remember from a month ago, when we covered the disappearance of Chase Lackey, I had both his father and his sister on there, but they were in the same location. Of course, for all you audio people, you wouldn't have known that, but uh, for Joe and Lorelai, even though, as you, as they said, they live close to each other, they were in two different locations at the, both their homes. So had to kind of um, cue them. You could hear me, Joe, why don't you talk about that? Lorelai, why don't you talk about that? That's kind of the way you have to do that. And we you know, haven't had to do that too much uh, for Unfound. As you know, most of the time, it's just me interviewing one person. I've certainly had uh, interviewed two people at a time, you know, even going by way back to Jamie Bowen's disappearance back in 2018 or maybe in 2017, no, 2018. Um, but you ha- for me in the preparation for that, I really have to think about it a lot more. Really have to think about, okay, here's where we're going. Here's where we're going. And, want to make sure everybody gets equal time. And I know that Lorelai has certain strengths and I know that Joe has certain strengths about what they can talk about. And of course, Lorelai being that she knew Milda certainly helps on that. Whereas with Joe, he's more of a information facts guy. He's the actual investigator helping Lorelai. And so, you know, I have to kind of plan these things out and like think it through before the interview ever happens. And so that's, you know, when I'm putting the interview outline together, I have to, you know, type it out, you know, that way. So I understand some of these things. Um, hello, Marlene. What's going on? Uh, and hello to you, Deborah. What's going on, Deborah? Thank you for that smiley face there. Look at that. That's fun. So the McMillan McQuillan poll. Uh, we really have two choices here, as I stated. You either believe that she walked off and just wasn't found 
or you believe that somebody, you know, murdered her and covered it up. And I think Joe wanted me to add in into the poll that, you know, did some sort of accident happen? Somebody covered up. I think that the way I phrased it, I think everybody understood what I was trying to do in the poll. I think we got very accurate, um, accurate results from the poll that was conducted in the disc, uh, in the discussion group walked off was the most uh, popular answer. However, it was only like 67%. It was not a runaway. It was not one of these 90% uh, results where 90% of the people picked that two thirds thought that she walked off. One third thought she was murdered maybe by uh, Clarence and Jean or by somebody else. So certainly not 50 50, but it's not a runaway either somewhere in between in the think tank. It was kind of the same. We, uh, I think we had eight people in the think tank. Usually we have between eight and 12, somewhere like that. It's pretty common. And I think maybe two people in the group thought were very open to the idea that there was foul play, whereas the, the rest of the people also believed that Milda walked off and just wasn't found. And we know that happens. You, you know, it doesn't need to be a 71-year-old out in the middle of nowhere um, you know, in 1975, you know, to believe that it was a walk-off. We have, of course, Jason Landry, who disappeared in an area that was is much easier to search. You know, <laughs> a lot more places to look, easier area to cover. And, of course, he has, still hasn't been found. So I think that that was kind of taken into consideration in the think tank. We explore, we talked about the items left in the woods. We talked about did Milda's uh, drinking uh, play a role in how you thought about um, the, uh, you know, the disappearance. And I will tell you, this is probably just so all of you know, the think tank, uh, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. If you'd like to become part of the think tank, go there right now. You'll see what I'm talking about. We talk very in depth about these disappearances. We talk more in depth about disappearance there than anybody does anywhere on the earth. I can assure you of that. Throw out a lot of ideas. Everybody gets their opinions and there's no judgment going on. We don't argue theories. I might try to challenge some of the people on, you know, just kind of playing devil's advocate, but I'm just trying to make sure everybody's really diving as deep into their IQ points as they can. And one of the things that's really surprised me about the discussion on uh, last night was that more people than I would have thought really were thinking about Milda and her drinking habits. I asked the question, how much does Milda's drinking, as you heard Lorelai talk about, how much does that factor into your thinking about this disappearance? And it was overwhelmingly that, yeah, it certainly was that something we considered more than I would have ever suspected. So I thought that that was interesting. But about 75% in the group thought that she walked off. Me, I will tell you, I think that she walked off too. I know, well, there were searches done and everything. You know, I'm at the point now, six years on, almost six years in, that I don't even know if searches, you know, they have to be done. I realize why they're done. 
I realize why people put all the work into them and everything. But the uh, the number of times that they are not successful, at least for searches on land, we're going to talk about Kylie Rodney and how she's been found. That's searching in water is a totally different thing. But searches on land, when the car isn't missing, it's just the person. It's just so hit and miss. It's, and it's more miss than hit. So we also have to remind, and I'm looking at my notes over here, We also have to understand something, and this just maybe also shows you how I analyze many disappearances. I look at the person first. Milda, not married. Her husband had died years before. Not living by herself, but she's living with his sister, and as you heard Lorelai say, maybe they weren't totally the same. Um, You know, kids have moved on. Maybe she does have a little bit of a drinking thing going on, but you have to realize something. When we get to the age of 70-some years old, if somebody that age disappears, oftentimes it's because that person walked off. Whether it's because they are suffering from some sort of mental incapacitation from Alzheimer's or dementia or something else, maybe had some sort of stroke or something, or... For example, I'm not saying this is what happened with Milda, but for example, the the person might have been diagnosed with some terminal disease and doesn't want to tell the family, is disheartened about it, depressed about it, and that person decides that, you know, I can't, you know, I'm not going to go through the treatments or whatever. The person just kind of disappears because the person doesn't want to go through the agony of dying that way, doesn't want people to... Uh, to see a person suffer like that, or family see a, her suffer like that. This is these things happen, and so we have to think about that. This is the reason that people in that age group, under those circumstances, disappear. Now, if it was a twenty-year-old, we'd talk about something else. But then you add in all the facts. We know about Clarence and Jean and all the other things, her car breaking down and where the car was found and everything. And then you start thinking, are all of those things strong enough to pull us away from what is the most common reason that 71-year-old people disappear? In my opinion, no. There was not enough that I heard from Joe or Lorelai that brought me away from the idea that the reason Milda disappeared at 71 years old is the reason that most people disappear when they're 71. So that's why I came to the conclusion that I did, that I think she did walk off. I think she was confused. I think she went down that road by choice. She figured out she couldn't back out or turn around. She got out of her car, but she's still confused. Now, why wasn't she found? What's the reason that uh, Jason Landry wasn't found? (laughs) You know, guess, I don't know. I can't make that. But there was nothing in it that pointed to foul play, despite Clarence and Gene, and I go through all that in the blog. If you'd like to read that, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. You can start at the low, low, low price of $2 a month. Or maybe you'd like to work your way up the whole way to $20 a month, and you get a lot of cool stuff. And everybody who's in the think tank loves it. So once again, patreon.com forward slash 
Unfound podcast. Um, uh, hello, Charlotte. What's going on, Charlotte? Good to see you. Coffee says, I don't think she's starting to walk off to a new life. Well, I, I didn't say off to a new life. Uh, surely not, Coffee. I think she got confused and lost foul play as possible, but I doubt it. Deborah says, what day is the think tank? It's uh, almost always on Sundays, Deborah. Sometimes it gets changed due to something that I have going on in my life. But 99% of the time, uh, 51 out of 52 weeks of the year, it's on Sunday evenings at 7 p.m. Eastern. And it usually goes for about an hour and 15 minutes. We do it here on YouTube. Um, it's like a live show, but not, it's on an unlisted link, uh, that only Patreon people get. So there you go there. Thank you, Kathy. Um, and, uh, everybody's talking, everybody. I love how people going back with each other, uh, talking back and forth. Uh, I love that. Um, there you go. All right. So it seems the consensus, the majority, not overwhelmingly, but somewhat uh, believes that she did walk off for whatever reason, most likely due to being confused about her situation. Moving on. Uh, I don't think that I would have known this uh, except uh, it would popped up in my memories today because I posted it when I did it. And six years ago today, I conducted the first interview I ever did for Unfound. The first official interview. Now, I talked to some people that eventually led up to interviews back maybe to the beginning of August of 2016. But six years ago today, I did my first interview, and it was with uh, Mary Lyle regarding the disappearance, of course, of her daughter, Susie Lyle. Uh, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember uh, I was at, you know, I was at my parents' place. I had spending some time there. Usually when my, when my mother was still alive, I would go up during the month of August to visit them. Even when I lived in Las Vegas, that's usually the month I chose to go back to Pennsylvania, but I did that interview from my parents' place in Pennsylvania. And I remember being so nervous. <laughs> and uh, that's the interview, by the way, you're going to hear uh, in a week and a half when we play uh, that interview again for the sixth anniversary episode. But to have her on as the first person is spectacular that she would choose to do an interview with me. I'm going to continue to say this. I say this every year we get around to this, that she chose to do an interview with me when I had no track record. I was a nobody had not covered 264 disappearances and everything else. Um, really amazing. You know, that she trusted me with all of that. And we did as, as we continue to do today, as I continue to do today, um, very in-depth, interviews and of course we went very in depth i would like to think that my interview skills have gotten a little better since then 
But uh, I look back at a lot of those first interviews and think that maybe I would have done them a little differently uh, now, but that's the way it goes. But six years ago today, and on top of that, once again, if many of you follow uh, me on my personal Facebook page, you know that I posted that, but I also said, yeah, I'm working on this new project and it's kind of a secret and I don't want to talk about it right now. Well, that was unfound. That was unfound. And here we are coming up to the sixth year anniversary. Um, 264 disappearances covered. Um, 317 episodes. Something like that. Because we have to figure there are the update episodes. And there were some in- interviews uh, that I did with other podcast hosts. And then there were some memoriam episodes, which I haven't done recently. Maybe I should think about doing a few of those. Um, You know, that all adds up. But as far as disappearances go, 264. Milda's was 264. Not sure back then that I thought we were going to make it. Um, (laughs) Just never know. You just never know when you start something like that. But... Uh, I think that if you'd have told me back in on August 22nd, 2016, that Ed, you're going to do this interview with Mary. And six years from now, you're going to be, uh, have it covered 264 disappearances over 300 episodes. You're going to be coming up on your sixth anniversary. You're going to have testified in a murder trial you uh, speaking at schools, uh, being part of the Spotify network, uh, having all these people on Patreon and the live show and everything else. I just don't, I just don't know if somebody told me that on August 22nd, 2016, whether I would have believed it. I just, you know, just, it's just crazy. So, uh, and you're going to have a cool name for look at you, Sheree, looking tooting your own horn down there, Sheree. You're going to have a cool friend named Sheree. That too. I I just cannot even tell you how many, uh, thank you for bringing that up, Sheree. I cannot even begin to tell you how many friends that I've made due to this podcast. Cannot even tell you. So um, between the guests, between the assistants, between some of you, of course, some of the listeners I've met in person, going to disc golf tournaments and people coming up to me and saying, hey, you're that guy. You know, you just just can't predict stuff like that. So, um, and I hope to be doing it. Uh, Of course, we'll get to that. for the sixth anniversary episode in a week and a half, but uh, sure would like to continue this going for another six years. And and hopefully there are not a lot of uh, great things to come. Like I said, uh, I think the past year, and I'll be talking about this in the update episode, um, you know, just so many things that I could not have expected, you know, have happened over this year. That's certainly as far as unfound and, uh, moving forward and and more coverage and and all of that. Uh, certainly, uh, this past year, uh, September of 2021 to September 2022, has certainly been the biggest year yet. 
certainly. So once again, six years ago today, I interviewed Mary Lau. It's crazy. So let's see what everybody uh, is saying here. Um, yeah, The Real says, if there's any fellow Australians, think Tank is on Monday mornings. The Real, thank you for, uh, yeah, thank you for reminding everybody of that. Um, yeah, me being a stupid American. Yeah, it's not 7 p.m. Eastern everywhere in the world. Coffee, I didn't mean to imply you said she walked off for new life. Just clarify my thoughts. That's fine, Coffee. Gotcha. Uh, screaming says, thank you for, by the way, thank you for the contribution screaming. What screaming has done is hit the super chat button, that little gray square with the dollar sign in the middle. If you'd like to monetarily contribute, you can do that through the super chat. Uh, screaming says I'm going to iron maiden Chicago this October. Well, you and I have something in common, although it will not be in Chicago. I'm going to see them here in Tampa and it's going to be actually Tampa is their final show in the United States. Usually they start here in Tampa and go to the rest of the United States. Well, they're finishing in Tampa and I'm going to see them. And I, I, I'm thinking right at this point that my buddy, Doug, uh, who I grew up with, um, who lives in North Carolina. Now I think he's going to be coming down and we're going to go in together. I have two tickets. So Doug, if you're watching, I suggest you show up. So it's going to be fantastic uh screaming i'm really looking forward to seeing them again this will be my third time i know they play some senjutsu um, uh, songs at the beginning and then they play more of the standards i guess you'd call them which is fine with me um just excited to see them again they put on a heck of a show i think it's a good bang for your buck so screaming you will have to tell me about it after you go please do um, Dan Stacy says that's awesome screaming I went to the stadium tour had a blast for Iron Maiden uh, Coffee says I wish Susie, Susie Lyle's case could be solved Coffee uh, of course absolutely uh, people are talking about Kylie I'm going to talk about Kylie um, and her disappearance and her being found here uh, in a bit, thank you, Fishing. And then Sheree, once again, talking about you're going to have a real cool friend named Sheree. You are a real good, cool friend, Sheree. Marlene, thank you for that. Uh, murder trial, Doris, uh, I, uh, Doris Gurley, uh, if you're new, I last year in October, I was in Colorado, and I was called to testify in the murder of Janelle Matthews. Steve Pankey was on trial. Uh, I was on the stand for about four hours, uh, and that ended up being a hung jury. So we'll see. Maybe we'll have to do it all again this fall. So Doors, uh, that is the murder trial that I was talking about. That was last October. Thank you, Cherie. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Screaming. Um, the Roracle, what's going on, the Roracle? I think it's like the Oracle, the Roracle. I love that. Uh, a little late, but uh, thank you, the Roracle. I appreciate it. Gary, how are you? Gary, are you new? I think I would recognize this name before, but Gary, thanks for making time for the live show. Uh, Dora, wow, crazy. Thank you. Uh, no problem. You know, Dora's uh, girly, uh, I guess, that, and it's my fault, that... Uh, you know, I, I have to remember that, um, you know, there are a lot of people who are finding Unfound for the first time and may not know uh, what's gone on over the past year. And there's been a lot. 
And one of those things was that uh, in October, I went out to Greeley, Colorado and was on the stand under oath. And uh, my interview that I did with Steve Pankey way back in 2019 was an exhibit for that trial. And uh, it was an experience. So uh, I take for granted people know that. That's my fault. Okay, so sixth anniversary, and uh, like I said, in a week and a half, we'll be doing uh, the sixth anniversary episode. Uh, we'll come out on September 2nd. Uh, of course, since we are getting near the end of the um, end of the month, uh, another Unfound Now will be coming out. We'll start looking at within the next few days, probably get that done this weekend. And if you are a member of this channel if you hit the join button down there you will get it a week early i'm thinking that what's today the 22nd 23rd, i'm thinking probably it'll come out on the 27th for um members of this channel for everybody else you're gonna have to wait at least a week so probably september 3rd september 4th september 5th but i haven't decided uh the disappearance I'm going to cover yet. Uh, I've been kind of going male, female, male, female, male, female, going back and forth. So I'm due to cover a male disappearance. You remember last month it was Dana Smithers from Pennsylvania. So uh, it will be uh, a man that went missing from somewhere, uh, but I've not, I've not even started to work on that yet. But be looking for that for you um, members of this channel. You know, all of you in the green little, with your green names, uh, you will get to see it first. Stacy's saying something. Deborah, you can vote. Uh, Deborah says, if there was a word uh, giving out for podcasts, you would win best podcast host in my book. Deborah, you're very kind. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I, I have to tell you that I know that there are things that go on like that. I know that. There are lists coming out all the time, the top 10 podcasts and top 10 true crimes. You know, I really, the only reason I know these things happen is because a lot of you uh, tell me about it. Uh, it's not something that, um, you know, I pay attention to that much. But, and I, I have to tell you, I don't really know if it matters that much to me. I will admit this though. If, uh, there was a, there's only one award that I think that I would like to get, uh, of course, being in depth and all that, of course, but if there was a, uh, there were an award for best podcast interviewer, I'd like to think that I could win that one. I know that unfound is not the most popular true crime podcast out there. It doesn't have the most subscribers, the most downloads and all that stuff. I get it. It's never going to be that way mainly because it's kind of a niche or niche podcast. We only cover disappearances. We don't cover, you know, there's not like a smorgasbord or potpourri of different kinds of true crime topics that we cover. And I get that. But best interviewer, if there were ever an award for that, I might be interested in winning that. <laughs> Maybe. Because <laughs> I put a lot of work into that. So, um, there you go. So, um, thank you for, uh, bringing that up. Uh, Deborah, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And yes, please remember to hit the thumbs up as you're watching. Um, 
Stacy says, yes, yes, you just need one there. We need to Google to find it. Richard, do you enjoy covering missing people from your home state? Richard, I will be very honest with you. There is something, if you mean my home state of Pennsylvania, which is technically my home state, uh, I guess, you know, um, you know, I, I guess, especially Western Pennsylvania, because a lot of those places I've been to, especially like Jamie Peterson went missing from, you know, the Butler area, kind of that area, the Frost Township area. I know very well. Uh, Rebecca Blanier uh, went missing from New Ken, which is a place I was to all the time back in the day. So I guess, yes. Um, yeah. You know, maybe it does kind of ring true to me. And of course, you know, they're all important to me. But I, I do have to admit when I've actually lived in a place or been to a place, you can't help but kind of, you know, feel a little different about that. Even like with Kelly Rothwell, uh, she disappeared right down the street from where I live. I pass where she surely was murdered once a week, at least once a week down, just, just right down here south of me. I can tell you the exact building it's blue. And, and so, yeah, it, it does, you know, there's something certainly different about that. And then Deborah Bowman, who went missing over in Largo by the Largo Medical Center. I just went by the Largo Medical Center today when I went over to play some disc golf. Went right by where she was that night. Yeah, you think about it. In Las Vegas, uh, Amanda Fravel, Jesse Foster, certainly. Now, they're all, they're all number one importance to me. But there is, uh, you know, maybe an additional level of familiarity, given that I know these areas, even though I didn't know the people who went missing. Um, so, Richard, uh, yeah, Pennsylvania, yeah. And uh, certainly going back to 2018, when I helped uh, the Trib, Trib Live, TribLive.com, Trib Total Media, cover some Western Pennsylvania disappearances? Absolutely. Yeah, that was very special to me. I wish we could have continued it to do it into 2019, 2020, 2021. Didn't get to do that. But certainly would be open to doing that again. It was very important to me. Sure. Uh, I'm like a woodpecker, Ed. Thank you, Coffee. I never thought about that. Um, Gary asked me, what is this podcast about? All we do is cover disappearances. We have people on. If you're new to the program or you're just finding this live show for the first time, Gary, all we do is cover disappearances here. I have family members on. I interview them, and they could tell their stories. I get to ask them a lot of questions. We get as in-depth as we can regarding disappearance without talking about theories. That's what we do. Uh, thank you, Marlene. Definitely something different about actually being in the same place as a dis disappearance. Yes. Yes. Deborah interviewer, hands down. Thank you, Deborah. You're very kind. Gary, some people are in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's true, Gary. But uh, for the most part, disappearances happen between people who know each other. Overwhelmingly. The rule, I won't name any, of course, but there are popular true crime podcasts out there I don't like at all. Some for ethical reasons, others because they just regurgitate known info and that's all. 
as you know, uh, I don't listen to that a lot of other stuff, although I am going to be talking about another true crime podcast here in a moment. Um, I, I just do what I do. Uh, speaking of another podcast, on Wednesday evening, I will be getting interviewed. I will be the guest for once, although it's recorded and it will play somewhere down the road. I'm going to be interviewed by the hosts of the podcast, Locating the Lost. Seems like this this, uh, this podcast has been around for maybe a couple years. In fact, the host told me that Unfound was his inspiration for starting his own podcast. So um, how can you not like that? And they've covered Lonnie Rogers' disappearance, which is, of course, one we covered on Unfound. They covered Mar Murray's disappearance, which we've not covered. But I've had a chance to listen to some uh, of these their episodes. It's called Locating the Lost. It is on Spotify. But uh, his name is Travis. He contacted me the end of last week and asked me if uh, I would like to come on and be interviewed about what we do at Unfound and how I got into this and everything. I'm sure we'll talk about some disappearances as well. So we're going to do that on Wednesday evening. I don't know how long it's going to go. It's not live. It's just like how I do things. I'm sure they're going to record it and then play it at a later date. When I know what that later date is, I'll let all of you know. I certainly want you to listen to it. And I'm sure that uh, I will be able to get a copy of it. Maybe I'll put it on here on the YouTube channel or do something with it, put it on the website. I really don't know. But, um, you know, I don't do a lot of that, uh, and mainly because I don't get asked to do it Uh too much that's fine I'm not, you know i'm perfectly fine just interviewing people but um he asked i said yes uh, i've had a chance to check it out and everything so uh it'll be interesting to see where it goes the only thing that i that i told him in fact i told him today i don't mind it being like a cold interview it's just you know nothing really planned unlike the structured interviews that i do for unfound the only thing I asked him is if we're going to talk about any disappearances that Unfound, you want to talk about any that Unfound is covered, just give me a little heads up so I can kind of, you know, brush up at least a little bit. But I don't know if we're going to do that or not. I think that uh, we are going to talk a couple disappearances, but it may be maybe ones that just are really well known, like Mar Murray's or, or something. So we'll just have to see. Maybe he just wants to talk about podcasting and true crowd podcasting in general and stuff. And that's fine, too. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. All right. So I'm going to answer a question that I received last week, but I didn't get to it. Let me see what everybody is saying. Um, Tra Screaming says, wow, that's cool. Shree says, doing the interview is really cool. Coffee says, the Lonnie and Rogers case is fascinating. Richard says, sometimes bad things happen to good people just the way it is. Stranger on stranger crimes and murder is one of the hardest things to solve. It is. It is, Richard. I agree. Um, but, you know, I – yeah, Shree. In fact, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, he did cover uh, – Locating the Lost did cover the Lost Boys of Pickering. And actually, uh, Travis did tell me thank you for bringing that up, Shree, that actually we will be talking about that on uh, Wednesday night. So luckily that's fresh in my mind. Um, 
stranger on stranger crimes are the hardest ones to solve. You know, the only thing that uh, the caveat to that would say, Richard, of the disappearances we've covered on Unfound, I really don't really know how many of them really are stranger on stranger crime. I'm not inclined to uh, believe uh, too many are. Nothing, you know, uh, and it's very rare. No matter what kind of crime, you know, even we're talking about murders and rapes, most of those are committed between people who know each other. So certainly something to think about, but surely when it comes to the disappearances that Unfound is covered, um, you know, I, I rarely ever consider the idea that some stranger caused the disappearance of somebody we covered on Unfound. Rarely, 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 rarely. All right, so moving on. Uh, Christy last week asked me this question. I didn't see it until after the live show was done. She asked me, I have a question for next week or whenever. It's personal, so you don't have to answer, but whenever you bring it up, I'm curious. You say you've never done drugs or got drunk. That's awesome. I'm not a drinker, basically, because I don't like the feeling and I'm not good at it. I'm a puker for sure. But I can't say I didn't try it in my younger years, only to find out that it's not good for me and it wasn't really fun for me. But how did you manage to not even try it with peer pressure and all through college? Just curious. You know, I will tell you that this is one of um, those points where those questions where, you know, I really don't bring it up too much in, you know, in public because I think automatically people start thinking, well, Ed used to have a drinking problem and now he's on the wagon and, you know, and everything else. Um, you know, maybe it's just myself being self-conscious, but um, that's not the case at all. Um, you know, there are a lot of reasons. Christy, if you're watching this, whether you're watching it live right now or you're going to catch up with this later – there are a lot of reasons that I never got into drinking. Um, first of all, you know, in, you know, I think that this, you know, my perception of being a Gen Xer is that drinking for most people certainly gets started well before a person is 21 going to parties and people getting older brothers and sisters to buy them beer and they go drink out in the woods and everything. First of all, my parents kept me so damn busy as a teenager between baseball and piano and uh, work around the house and doing this and, and work and expecting high standards of my grades and everything. No chance. There was no time for any of that. I mean, I went out and had a good time. I would go out on Friday nights and fr go out on Saturday nights. But there were so many things that I was involved in that drinking would have been a detriment to doing those things well. In addition, um, you know, when I turned 16 on August 1st, 1986, I, you know, I had a car right away. Now it was, uh, you know, kind of a clunker, but you know, when you're, you're given that to drive so quickly, I think it actually causes you to, you know, start thinking about drinking less. 
Whereas if you're a person who wasn't given a car or bought your own car when you're 16 to 17, 18, that means you're riding around more, which means you have less responsibility, which then means you're more likely to do things that, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing. I've thought about that. Um, In addition, given those things, I did run into people when I was a teenager, before I turned 21, who were drinking underage. And here was something that I discovered. I discovered I don't like anybody more when they're drunk. Women do not get, um, women do not get more attractive when they're drunk. Men do not get more likable when they're drunk. So if I'm looking at everybody else and sensing that, then that must be true about myself. That if I start drinking and get a little sloppy and everything, that makes me less likable, less attractive and everything else. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? So th- that's a lot of it. Um, you know, as far as the peer pressure goes, uh, I'm not a peer pressure guy. Uh, I've always thought of myself, although I don't know how good of a leader I am of people, but, you know, I'm not saying I could be a general of the army or something like that or a sergeant of a platoon or anything like that. But I certainly have always looked at it to lead by example. And if that is in your mentality, then you can't be going, uh, getting drunk and everything else. So I don't follow people. You know, if other people are doing something, it, it doesn't automatically tell me that it's okay for me to do either. Even if it's something, you know, even if it's something good, you know, I think there is still something in my mind. Is this something I wouldn't get involved in? What other things could I be involved in? And so I'm not much of a follower. So peer pressure, you know, is, is not a thing. Now, maybe the way that I got around that is that at least when I went to college and I, then I did become 21 before my junior year, um, I ended up being the designated driver. So I'd get to go to the parties and we'd go down to the pit campus and this, and I would make sure none of my friends drank, drank and, you know, were drinking and driving. And in, you know, even though that's uh, 31 years ago, that's still kind of the way I am today. I'm still very much a guy who looks out for his friends. Even though I'm not around them much. Although I have some, of course, disc golf friends and everything else. Um, I'd like to think that I'm a guy that looks out for his friends, both men and women. And so I took great pride and, and pleasure in being that guy that knew that I was responsible for these people. And so, yeah, I was going to drive. We'll be down there. We'll have a good time. I'll keep them out of trouble. <laughs> you know, because I'll be the sane one. And they won't get into any fights. And they won't do anything stupid. And they won't get in the car and drive. And they really respected for me. They got to be who they wanted to be. I got to be who I wanted to be. In addition, I got to tell you, um, I'm just kind of a vain guy. 
even at 52. And the fact is that drinking uh, doesn't do much for your physique, doesn't do much for your internal organs. And I do believe that drinking can put years on people. Of course, if it really gets out of hand. And, uh, you know, not to mention drinking can get expensive. And I'm glad that I have all that money that I didn't spend on alcohol back in the early 1990s. You know, and I think also on top of everything else that, you know, when it comes to drinking to the point of getting drunk, I don't like people to see me that way. And I'll I'll give you a, a good example of that. I went and got couple wisdom teeth pulled in 2006. They were both um, on the bottom. First was the one over here, and then I got the other one taken out over here. Well, as you all know, if you get that done, you know, they drug you up. They knock you out. And then when you come out of it, you know, you're kind of all woozy, woozy, you know, kind of out of it. I don't didn't even like people seeing me like that. And so... Um, I got, uh, a woman who I knew who I haven't talked to in a long time, but her name is Shannon and she was not my girlfriend. We just been friends. That was everything we, but you know, I picked a very special person to pick me up after getting this done because there were just a lot of people who I didn't want them to see me in kind of this loopy, all drugged up thing. Of course, we all know that it eventually wears off in like an hour. But um, you know, I didn't want anybody to see me like that. You know, I, I want them to see me when I'm sober in my right mind and, and everything else. I didn't want them to see me all looped up because I will tell you, even though I can remember back to 15 years ago, you know, I said some funny things, some stupid things when I was all looped up. And I still remember that to this day. So I think it's all of that put together on top of everything else. Uh, when I did have a couple beers back in the 1990s, I really didn't like it anyway. You know, I don't like the taste of wine or anything else. So that helps too. So Christy, that's my answer. Great question. Uh, I am a teetotaler. I haven't had an ounce of alcohol 17 years. And even then I went to some wine tasting thing because I had to go. And then before that, maybe I had a beer in about 2001. And then before that, Maybe 1997 when I still lived in Pennsylvania. It's just the way it is. You know, there you go. But that's the answer. Uh, just a lot of things put together. And, and certainly the fact that uh, I don't sus- succumb to peer pressure. And not that anybody ever put I want to be clear. None of my friends ever put that pressure on me. In fact, they liked it that I wanted to stay sober so I could drive and they could drink. So that helps. Um, so what is everybody, uh, saying here? Uh, uh, coffee says, I think Nikki McCown might've been a stranger on stranger crime. I'm not inclined to think that coffee, but that's fine. Um, 
you're a veteran of the pub scene by age 21 in Australia. Thank you. The real, uh, mowed grass all the time. Uh, the Royal saying, this is what I do with my daughter, band, orchestra, soccer, baseball. And because of that, she will graduate early and with college credits way to have all power and great job, uh, to Ed's mom and dad. Yeah, that's funny. The Oracle, uh, that you, you know, great job, Ed's mom and dad. I think that they took pride in it back at the time, but I think now that I'm 52, of course, my mother's no longer with us, but my dad, not that my dad's a big drinker or anything, but I think he is really a little uh, astounded of the way that I have stayed away from alcohol all these years. Uh, you know, sometimes I wonder if I, he thinks I'm lying to him, I wonder. So there's that. Um, people around you, yes. The uh, It's the best with your vibe attracts your tribe, what my son tells me. I guess, I, you know, I don't know about that, Rorkel. Um, I would say that my vibe, as far as guys go, uh, if you were to meet all of my friends, absolutely some of the most spectacular men you ever want to meet. Now, when it comes to the vibe for women, like, um, women who have been attracted to me and women I've been attracted to, then we get into the crazy stories. Um, Royal says, I think we had the same teen years. Um, Marlene says, Ed, that's a great friend for taking care of anyone. Thank you. I appreciate this. Thank you. Is this real life, kid? Thanks. Um, Deborah says, you're right, Gary. I was one of those thinkers uh, as a kid. Thank you, Marlene. Drinking's not my tea either, Jasmine says. Um, Charlie, are they single? That's funny, Cherie. Uh, Cherie, uh, as I think I've said, all of my friends are married and, and have kids and everything. I mean, I'm just totally, totally, totally the outlier. My buddy Brad doesn't have any kids, but he's been married for 20, 19, 23 years. In fact, his anniversary is my birthday. They got married on my birthday in 1998, so 24 years. Um, uh but yeah, all of my friends have uh, gone the more traditional route than I have. Okay, getting back to true crime stuff. I wanted to cover that, and I think this is, uh, you know, um, it's a solid topic. Uh, I will personally say I think that drinking to excess is too readily accepted in Western culture. That's my opinion. And if you want to, you want to get me out of a, you want to drive me out of a place quickly or a party or something, too many drunk people acting too stupid, I'm out. I won't say goodbye. See ya. I'll just walk out the door. Now, if they're friends of mine, that's different, but I'm in somebody where there are strangers and they're acting all crazy and nooping it up. I'm out of there. I just got no time. Uh, moving on, uh, I'm going to talk more about this. I don't know how much time I want to give to this tonight during the live show, but uh, Carlos Rodriguez was found guilty. He ended up pleading out, and then a jury gave him life in prison. Uh, I want to thank Paula, who uh, is in the chat here, who has given me updates. She was in the courtroom last week. 
watching everything and kind of sending me updates every once in a while. And I think that we're going to have to get very, like I said, I'm going to talk way more about this on the Friday for the update episode. Unfortunately, I think we're all going to have to get very, very comfortable with the idea. There's just things about Zoe Campus's murder that we're never going to know. Even though we did learn some things, for example, they, when they did find her in the ground in Carlos Rodriguez's yard, her hands were bound. But we're just not going to know, like, you know, she, he was supposedly living with his parents. Where, you know, where were they? That wasn't his house. He was living, you know, where were they for all of this? And um, and it's a little sad. And this is one of those things. It's like, you know, I don't know how I'm, I'm supposed to be happy about this or not. I'm certainly happy that he got caught, that he got charged, that he's been sentenced. I'm glad that Zoe Campos's remains were found as, you know, we know how rarely that happens. But for scientific purposes, for analysis purposes, for study purposes, for teaching purposes, certainly would like to know more about all of that. Um, and I think everybody, like I said, everybody's just going to have to be comfortable that this is uh, whatever I'm going to talk about on Friday is pretty much all we're ever going to know about Zoe's murder. Now, it has come out. Maybe Carlos did have a um, somewhat violent history even before Zoe came into his life and that he continued to do this after he killed her. And that's eventually what led to him being in police custody in 2018 and him uh, confessing and all of that. But there's no, uh, no nothing that I've heard to believe that he killed any other any of these other women. They're all still around. So what made Zoe different? Once again, I don't think uh, – where are we going to know? Uh, Shri uh, got life in prison. He got life in prison. That was given to him by a jury. Uh, the jury did not determine his guilt or innocence or not guilty. All they got to do is determine the sentence, and that was the sentence. So we just don't know why he chose to kill Zoe. Did she fight back a little more than these other women did? Certainly possible. Could it have something to do with what they were doing? Were they all hopped up on, on, on drugs and something? I guess that's possible too. We may never know. Uh, Deborah says, you like your women out there, huh, Ed? You know, uh, Deborah. you know, when it comes to, you know, I want you to know that I am friends with most of my ex-girlfriends. Uh, it should be known, but and and some of the all of them in one way or another are fine women. But um, it just seems to me that, uh, that sometimes that opposites attract. Not you know, not to say that, you know I'm a non-drinker. That doesn't mean they're you know crazy drinkers or anything. But. Um, I'm a little more laid back, and I would tell you that most of the women that I've dated are the opposite. <laughs> and some of them have been a little zany and things, and I don't know what it is. But uh, I think that if I were to – you know, I don't think that I'm very attracted to women who are like myself. 
I guess that's what I'm saying. I think there will have to be a little difference in there, you know, uh, to make it work. Of course, I'm still single at 52, so maybe that that's never going to happen. But I think that's the way it's going to be. I think that if I were to meet a woman who had the same personality as me, the same social style and everything, I think there probably would not be enough uh, spark or flame or gasoline or anything to really light every anything on fire. You know what I mean? To get the passions burning. Need a little bit the opposite. And I think that I'm probably a guy in some ways that's kind of hard to ignite. So that takes uh, a woman who can ignite things fairly easily. I'll just leave it at that. Kalt says we need a true crime fans dating site. Uh, maybe we do. <laughs> I bet you pick the crazy ones. I don't pick the crazy ones, Stacey. They normally pick me. Moving on. Uh, speaking of other trials besides Carlos Rodriguez, um, we're still looking at Tyler Norris for his ex-wife, her boyfriend. Of course, there's now a third person involved in all of that. Uh, I reached out to Melissa Estes, uh, sister of Jonathan Estes, who, of course, went missing in Bogue Cheeto, Mississippi. His ex-wife has still not been put on trial in Mississippi for the the theft of that Caterpillar mechanical machinery. That's still not happened, if you're wondering. Of course, we have the disappearance of Unique Harris. She was seemingly murdered. I don't know anything about that trial. Alyssa Turney, don't know anything uh, that's going on uh, there either. And... So I I don't know when any of these are going to be happening. Uh, I've kind of looked them up. It just doesn't seem that anything's happening anywhere. Of course, we know how long it took for Carlos Rodriguez to get to trial. Almost four years. Now, that's due to COVID and everything, but, you know, I don't know if that's the reason or not. Steve Pankey went on trial last year. Moving on. Uh, not long before it's a bobcat thank you sheree that's the piece of machinery that michelle estes i think that's her name maybe not jonathan estes's ex-wife uh seemingly sold without permission it was called a bobcat kind of a smaller kind of i don't know i don't know a grader or uh something like that front loader a small kind of front loader i think that's what they call it in uh department of transportation terms but tonight um, at uh, 7 o'clock, and I talked to him about an hour and a half, I got to speak to the son of Dorian Myers. Uh, you talk about a surprise, and you talk about a, a, a great conversation. His name is Jesse. Not really going to get into everything that we talked about. Maybe I'll do a little bit more of that on Friday when the up update episode comes out. But he reached out to me through Patreon, and um, we ended up talking tonight for about an hour and a half. He's going back to what he remembers about his mother's disappearance in 2006. If we remember, this was the disappearance. She goes missing. Her house is gutted by a fire. Her car is found many miles away, torched. This is one of the disappearances that might even been the first one that I did with Dr. Telesco with the show that she and I do that'll be starting up again, by the way, in September. 
So he just kind of gave me what he remembered back at the time and his suspicions and how he remembered it. Gave him kind of my insight, you know, with my experience now of over 260 disappearances. And, you know, once again, I, I don't know how much I want to really want to get into it tonight, but I will tell you this. There's nothing that he said tonight that changed my mind about what happened to Dorian Myers. Nothing. Um, you know, uh, and I'm not saying he disagrees with me. I, I'm not really going to get into what he suspects, but uh, I, I continue to think that the best suspect in her disappearance, because I do believe it was a murder, was her ex-boyfriend, Joe. And like I said, there's nothing that... that Jesse said tonight to change my mind regarding that. So, um, there you go. So I, I just never knew if I was going to get to talk to him or not, or not. Um, he did his, uh, the topic of, uh, Jesse did come up when I interviewed Donna Jean back in 2019. We have to remember that, um, John Donna Jean is now deceased. She died in October of that year. Very sad. And uh, Jesse did tell me a little bit more about that. But I don't want to get into that. So um, I think we're going to keep in touch. Uh, he has a couple things to do. We talked about maybe a couple things that he can do to maybe help me out in, you know, uh, analysis, you know, trying to help him. So he gets the information. I take a look at it and try to give him some pointers. He's going to try to do that. In the meantime, um, I'm going to try to track down uh, where Joe is now and what he's doing with his life. So I really appreciate Joe, uh, Jesse reaching out to me like that. This was not on my agenda at all. You know, I would certainly love to talk to a lot more people regarding disappearances I've covered in the past, but, you know, I'm just so caught up. Um, you know, talking to people for th these episodes now, you know, makes it a little tough. There are only so many hours in a day and days in a week. So uh, if there's any real progress, I'll let you know. Uh, speaking of progress, um, there is a lot going on in Rebecca Gary's disappearance. This is one going way back to early 2017, very early in Unfound's existence. And I just got to give a shout out to Twinkle, who I think is in here tonight. She has been doing fantastic work as a listener, as an amateur sleuth regarding Rebecca's uh, disappearance. And that uh, I'm going to talk very, very, very in-depth about all of this for the update episode on Friday. Um, things are kind of getting... Uh, kicked into gear on all different fronts. Something that you would never suspect in a disappearance that's, what, over 30 years old now? And I would like to think uh, a lot of it uh, has to do with, you know, Twinkle's been working on this for a while. I don't know, year and a half? So, um, Twinkle, you are doing a fantastic job on that. Um working with Rebecca's family, you know, filing some FOIAs and um, Twinkle says, I've learned from the best. Well, now you're just sucking up to the teacher, Twinkle. <laughs> um, 
but I will, I will, once again, I will get more in depth on this on Friday. I promise. I'm sure you're all going to be, um, you know, I would even say a little flabbergasted, really, really surprised at what, uh, is now going on. Uh, though the way it seems like the fires have been, uh, lit, uh, a little bit. The fires have been lit. Um, one more thing before I get into some national news stuff, and then we will wrap this up for tonight. Uh, I know many of you probably um, have been following everything that's been going on with Tom Brown's. Things continue to go back and forth between the Phil Klein camp and this crane guy who has done all these interviews on that radio station with that radio host in Texas. I will admit that uh, I've not listened to the last couple interviews. I've I've been told and what's been said, kind of giving me the um, what is the Cliff Notes version of all of it. And you know whose side am I on? It, you know it. For me, it's like if there's a Super Bowl between the Patriots. Well, not that this could happen because they're both in the AFC, but. Uh, if the Ravens and the Patriots were in a Super Bowl, you know who I'd be. You know who I'd be rooting for. I'd be rooting from the, for the asteroid from Armageddon, and that's how I kind of feel regarding all of this. Um, once again, I don't think Phil Klein is a very good guy, but that's not even the biggest complaint. If he's like a surly guy, but he's doing good work, I'll certainly let him slide. Now, whether surly people can do good work is probably a, I don't know, just in theory. Just, I just don't think he's doing very good work. And so that's my main complaint. In fact, I had somebody who's in the Phil Klein camp write me a few days ago. You know, how can you allow all this Phil Klein bashing in your group and everything else? And, and I told him. You know, I told this person, uh, what did, what were my exact words? Just so, um, I wanted now not to say that this person liked what I had to say, but that's not surprise, but this person wrote me and, uh, complaining and, you know, I just very disappointed in you and everything else. The only person's expectations I, uh, do unfound is to my own and they're very high. I don't care if, you know, I realize I love all of you, but I have higher expectations for this podcast than anybody does. So when somebody says, well, I'm disappointing you, the only person's expectations I'm trying to live up to are my own. So I said the best way I, I wrote this person back, the best way to defeat haters is to succeed. Everything else is just ego. This person didn't like that. And, you know, that's kind of the point. Everybody will shut up if Phil Klein proves what he's been saying for like five years now. Everybody will shut up. I don't know how many apologies he's going to get, but everybody will surely shut up. Everybody will go about their business. The problem is he has made himself a target. Uh, Not a literal target, a figurative target. By going out and doing these public displays and doing the interviews and saying this and saying that, he has brought attention upon himself, and then he doesn't want any criticism. I don't know what to tell you. 
All you have to do is solve it and everybody will go away. And so as far as the, the opposite guy, this crane guy, it's clear to me he doesn't know what he's talking about. And uh, the client camp has, I guess, filed a libel suit against uh, this crane guy who's been on I can see why I'm not going to, I'm not saying it's going to be successful. I don't know. I can certainly understand it, but you know, this is the reason we don't do those kinds of things on unfound. We don't talk theories because once you start doing that, it's a slippery slope. It just is. And in my opinion, if this guy is like former Texas Ranger, whatever he is, at least what I've heard, and this going back to like his first or second time he was on that radio show, he just comes across as like the, the least professional person, you know, regarding this. Does he not realize that he goes on there and he's not sounding professional at all? He just, you know what he sounds like? He sounds like some crank you'd find deep in some web sluice thread concerning the smiley face killer. That's who he sounds like. So, I, I'm not rooting for either side. I, I am anti both sides. That's why I'm rooting for the, you know, if I had to pick between the two, I'd just hope for an asteroid to hit the Earth instead of rooting for either one of them. Uh, Phil Klein doesn't like the criticism you're getting. Just solve, just solve Tom's death then. Just solve it. You don't have to worry about that way. Either that, you know, do that and stay out of the press. <laughs> you know, stay out of it. Don't make all these pronunciations about things that you can't prove. Because once you say these things, people's then expectations uh, are created. And when then you can't re meet that, you get criticism. It's your, you are, you are the person setting the expectations. If you can't meet them, I wouldn't set them. And with the crane guy, uh, the crane guy would do the best to just shut up. If he thinks he can solve this, then he should just go and do it too. Just solve it. Instead of going on that radio show, you don't need to go on any radio shows to get your work done. In fact, going on radio shows is the opposite way. And I say this as a podcaster. If you're going to go onto a radio show and act like that, that's not helping anything. If you're just trying to get the word out, like families do when they come on unfound and making publicity, and you know we just follow the things as factually as we can, that's different. But if you call yourself an investigator and you're licensed in Texas or whatever else, then what are you doing? Then what are you doing? You know. People come on unfound because of the opposite reason, because they don't have the police power. They don't have the ability to, you know, serve warrants and subpoenas and, and all of these things. They want people to know, you know, what will happen and what they've been going through and what the police aren't doing and everything. That's why people come on unfound. Whereas you have somebody going on a radio show who has everything under his control. Former investigator, knows how the law enforcement works in Texas, probably has all sorts of people behind the scenes that maybe could help him with all this. And what's he doing? He's going on a radio show like four times. Once isn't enough. You 
You know, maybe he just likes hearing his voice a little too much. I don't know. All right. So uh, what's everybody saying? Um, yeah, they did fine. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um Anyone got some popcorn for all of this? Yeah, thank you, Kim. Uh, or solve at least one of the disappearance you're working on as a PI, just one. Uh, speaking of Phil Klein, seems like he wants to promote himself more than everything. A lot of that going on. There's hope. One of these guys, the one who claims he was an FBI agent, I think, I don't know if he was an FBI agent. There's hope. I think that he worked for some law enforcement agency in Texas. I don't think it was the FBI. It might have been the Rangers or something like that. Deborah says, never heard of Phil Klein. Consider yourself fortunate, Deborah. All right. Speaking of Kylie Rodney, um, what are we supposed to think? Um, I, I've been kind of following this. I'm sure many of you have been following it a lot more closely. But uh, the information that I read is that she was found just a few hundred yards from where the campground was, where all this partying was going on. And it was Adventures with Purpose who showed up. And I think within, uh, Sheree, what did you tell me? Within 30 minutes or three hours or something, they found her. Obviously, when it comes to people going missing with their cars, under certain situations, of course, Adventures with Purpose certainly knows what they're doing. Okay, that can't be denied. I'll continue to state that people disappearing with their cars is like only 2% of all disappearances. Still, it's 2%. And I'll also say that finding people, if you think they went into water, is easier finding people in water than it is on land. But obviously, they figured out you know, how to think about all of this and look at maps and figure out most likely the place fantastic. Now, the question is, as Shree and I were talking about earlier today, a few hundred yards, I don't know, is, is 300 yards, a few hundred yards, 500, that's like a quarter mile. 500 yards is 1,500 feet. A quarter mile is 1,320. So... I will tell you that it doesn't sound, I know, you know, I think somebody in the thread here is saying maybe an FBI agent, you know, FBI is now involved and everything. I don't know what that means. I, we've only covered a few different disappearances than, uh, you know, I don't know if that's special or not. And uh, now Sheree is saying 35 minutes, 55 feet from shore. Wow. That is far. 14 feet deep. She's seen the press conference today with law enforcement egg on their faces. Uh, you know, um, I really can't say everything that I want to say. <laughs> Sheree knows what I'm talking about. But uh, law enforcement should have their egg on their faces. They should not just have their egg on their faces regarding people who go missing in water. They should have egg on their faces for people who go missing on land, too. Land two. So, and I think that I think uh, I think what I want to say is adventures with purpose is is proving something that I think that we've been showing for a while is that law law enforcement in general has no handle on disappearance cases. They have no 
instincts, no intuition, nothing. Nothing. And that's why a lot of these disappearances don't get solved. Because you have to have that intuition. You have to be able to, once again, know something when you see it. And the thing about Adventures with Purpose is that they obviously know something when they see it. They are told this person was supposed to go from A to B, didn't get to point B. What do you think? And they know exactly, here's what I think. I'm going to look here. I'm going to look here. We're going to go there. We're going to search these areas. We may be wrong, but they have a plan, and it makes sense. Law enforcement has no plan for either disappearances that we think are caused by water or end up in water and disappearances that occur on land. No instincts. And that's their fault. That's not the public's fault. That's not my fault. That's not Adventures with Purpose's fault. That's not John Lorden's fault. That's not any of the family's faults. That's law enforcement's fault. So I, uh, you know, I'm not anti-police, but I'm not pro-police either. This is no different than going back to the Phil Klein thing. If you don't want to look stupid, just do your work. My work is finding families to talk to and interviewing them to the best of my ability and then helping them behind the scenes using my experience. That's what I do. This is what I've chosen to do. You've chosen to investigate disappearances and be the forefront, then do it. You and law enforcement, you've chosen to become a cop, a police officer, a sergeant, a sheriff. Just do it. Just do it. You know, no more, you know, you should know more about missing persons cases than I do. You should know more about missing persons cases than Adventures with Purpose does. You don't. That's your fault. That's your fault. I'm not even in the law enforcement business. Adventures with Purpose isn't in the law enforcement business. John Lorden isn't in the law enforcement business. The podcast that I'm going to get interviewed by on Wednesday night, they're not in law enforcement either. But all of us know more about missing persons cases than than law enforcement does. It should never be that way. And it doesn't seem they're doing anything to change that. So, you know, I, I would admit 55 feet from shore. I mean, you know, was she driving really fast? Uh, I guess suppose momentum could have, you know, taken her. I, I don't know uh, enough about physics to be able to predict that. Um, the Oracle, not just in this case, everywhere. Yes. Um, the police told them they had already checked there, but uh, eventually the purpose went back anyways and found her. Yikes. What if they had listened to them? Kiermuth, much like investigation agencies, the quality of police varies greatly by county, and there's no predictable way to see how the response is going to be. I saw that on Inside Edition, yes. Kiermuth, what I would say is that we cover disappearances. I mean, Unfound has been to almost all 50 states. We've been to the District of Columbia. Um, we haven't covered a disappearance in Hawaii yet, although we did do that for Unfound now, and there are a couple other states we've not gone yet to yet. What do we've covered? Maybe 43 states. It's like that in all of them. It's a wide way, you know, um, there's just kind of a culture of it. The, it's not uh, some sort of conspiracy or anything. 
It's just a culture of not understanding, not appreciating, having no instincts, having no intuition, being able to think, you know what? Hmm. They don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, so I, I don't, once again, going back, she was found 55 feet. Uh, I'm sure some physics professor might be able to explain that to us. I have to tell you, I'm not inclined to believe there was foul play here. Very well may have been nothing that I've read to believe that. I think that going back to what I was just being that uh, Christy asked me about my drinking habits over my life or non-drinking habits. I probably can say that if Kylie hadn't been drinking or doing whatever that night, she'd still be alive. It's sad. You know. But my opinion is if you stay away from alcohol, whether you're 16, 25, 47, or 70, you're going to live longer. I realize that it's supposed to be fun. I realize that you're supposed to drink responsibility. That's on every drinking commercial and, and everything else. I get it. I'm not saying we have to go back to prohibition or anything like that because we know that was a failure. But um, moderation, uh, there are only uh, a certain proportion of drinkers who drink in moderation. Everybody else is at risk for doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And stupid stuff and getting people killed. I'm not for prohibition. I don't want anybody to think that. But uh, just uh, Deborah says law enforcement has to care first off. I that's true, uh, Deborah. Um, you know, I don't know what to make of that. I don't. I just not to the point where I say they won't be wanted because we know law enforcement does solve crimes. I mean, we can't say that they uh, don't solve crimes. Uh, I think that when it comes to that, I think they're just a little intimidated. They just don't know what to do. Certainly, when you are sixteen, navigating a vehicle is difficult enough enough without impairment. Yeah, of course, true. One more thing before I wrap this up for tonight, and that is uh, pre-crime. Minority Report, of course, I think most of you have seen it with Tom Cruise. Decent movie, not a great movie. I think that it could have probably been a lot better given the concept. Um, Certainly futuristic looking, looks great movie. I think Tom Cruise did a fine job as he usually does, but... um, just not that satisfying of a movie. But on that topic, let's talk about pre-crime. An algorithm can predict future crimes with 90% accuracy. Here's why the creator thinks the tech won't be abused. The AI, the AI model was tested across eight cities in the U.S. and predicts future crimes with 80 to 90% accuracy without falling foul of bias. Professor, that's a long name, leads the Zed Lab at the University of Chicago where he studies algorithms and data. He tells us about the AI he's developed that can forecast crimes being committed days before they actually occur. Your algorithm successfully predicted crime in U.S. cities a week before they happened. How did you build the algorithm? The city of Chicago and seven other cities that we looked at have started 
putting out crime event logs in the public domain. In Chicago, these are actually updated daily with a week's delay. These event logs confirm contain information about what happened, what type of crime it was, where it happened, the latitude, longitude, and the timestamp. In Chicago, we also have information about if there were any arrests made when there were interactions with police officers. So we start with this event log and then digitize the city into small areas of about two blocks by two blocks, about 1,000 feet across. And in one of those tiles, we'll see this time series of these different events, like violent crimes, property crimes, homicides, and so on. The results in tens of thousands of time series that are co-evolving. Well, there's a word. What our algorithm does is look at these co-evolving time series, then figures out how they are dependent on one another and how they're constraining one another. So they're shaping one another. That brings up a more really complex model. You can then make predictions about what's going to happen, say a week in advance at a particular tile, plus or minus one day in Chicago, for example. Today is Wednesday. Using our algorithm, you can say that next Wednesday on the intersection of 37th and Southwestern Avenue, there will be a homicide. That's crazy. How do you envisage envision the ways your algorithm can be used. People have concerns that this will be used as a tool to put people in jail before they commit crimes. That's not going to happen as it doesn't have any capability to do that. It just predicts an event at a particular location. It doesn't tell you who is going to commit the event or the exact dynamics or mechanics of the events. It cannot be used in the same way as in the film Minority Report. In Chicago, most of the people losing their lives in violent crimes is largely due to gang violence. It is not like a Sherlock Holmes movie when some convoluted murder is happening. It is actually very actionable if you know about it a week in advance. You can't intervene. This does not just involve stepping up enforcement and sending police officers there. There are other ways of uh, intervening socially so that the odds of the crime occurring actually goes down, and ideally it never happens. What we would like to do is enable a kind of policy optimization. My cohorts and I, so interesting word, and I have been very vocal that we don't want this to be used as a purely predictive policy tool. We want policy optimization to be the main use of it. We want to enable that as just putting out a paper and having the algorithm there isn't enough. We want the mayor or administrators to use the model generated to do simulations and inform policy. Previous algorithms algorithms of this kind have been heavily criticized for producing violence in terms of racial profiles, for example. How do you account for this? Approaches that have been tried before are straight-up machine learning. Off-the-shelf tools where you take a giant data set, determine what the important features are, then use those features with a standard complex neural network to try to make predictions. The issue with that approach is that as soon as you can say, whoop, As soon as you can say for certain features are important, you're probably going to miss things. You will get misleading results. That happened in the Chicago Police Department in 2014 to 2016. They were putting people on the list who were likely to be perpetrators or victims of gun violence using an equation involving characteristics like arrest histories. And that resulted in a large proportion of the black population being on the list. We are trying to start only from the event logs. There are no humans sitting down figuring out what the features are or what attributes are important. That's very little manual input going on other than the event log that is coming in. We have tried to reduce bias as much as possible. That's how our model is different from the other models that have come before. A lot of people uh, are worried about the lack of transparency in the AI decision-making process. Is there an issue with this? 
AI systems have been used to model more and more complex systems. So it's not surprising that many of them tend to seem like a black box. Compare them to how things worked before. Back then, we just had a different or a tiny differential equation for a system, which gave us the feeling that we understood it. If we have a giant neural network, we can't just understand what's going on. So that's an issue. And there's a lot of work that's going into explaining AI. We have a really complex model, one that you can't just look at and read off the factors from. But the way to think about it is to look at all of the event logs. There are observations from this complex social system interacting with all these social economic factors, environmental factors or enforcement factors, demographics, economics, and all of these things. All that feeds info, all that feeds into and shapes the social system you're modeling. You can't expect a simple kind of pattern to come out of all of this data. So um, what is everybody saying here while I am reading? Um, uh, let's see. Later than I expected, I had a rough day. Christy, I answered your question about my drinking earlier, so you will have to watch the rerun. Um, uh, good night, Marlene. Good night. Uh, yeah, so... You know, the weird thing about this is this this is the kind of thing I envision for disappearances. I know this sounds really weird, and I know this creeps everybody out and everything, but I have mentioned, I've talked about this with Dr. Telesco, I've mentioned it to some other people, that I believe one of the ways to get a better handle on disappearances, of course, what do I always talk about? One of the problems we have is that the disappearance that is going to end in a week, at least at the beginning in this first 24, 48 hours, looks exactly like the disappearance that lasts for 20 years. At least to the human eye, to our perception. Whereas I'm convinced that if enough information could be collected and put into a computer and however you do that, that we could come up with some sort of formula or, you know, kind of Venn diagram or, you know, yes, you know, go, that yes or no, if you go this way, you no, know, go this way, kind of whatever that's called. We could do that for disappearances. So that when somebody goes missing, police officer shows up to fill out the report that instead of them filling out that paper report that is the same everywhere across the United States or at least Western culture. They aren't doing that. Instead, they have some sort of program where they ask a series of questions. If it's yes, yes, no, no. And at the end, it will tell you what are the odds that this person is going to remain missing for over a week. In contrast to the odds that the person is probably going to return on her own or his own in a few days. I believe that can be done with computers and AI, whatever you want to call it. I've convinced myself of that. And so when I read this, this is kind of what I'm thinking. I know this scares everybody, but should you be scared? I don't know. Um, but if they can certainly predict when a murder is going to take place on a certain part of Chicago, then certainly if somebody takes the time to compile all disappearance statistics from NamUs, both solved and unsolved disappearance and all that put together, we can come up with some sort of AI program that will predict if a missing person is going to you know, not come back 
or is going to come back and how soon it's going to be solved. I've convinced myself of this. So I, I just envision this. I don't have the computer expertise for it. I'm more of an ideas guy. But when I read this, I start thinking about missing persons case and how it can be used to better understand disappearances. And then when you do show up, you know, okay, this is, this is something that is absolutely something that could last for a while. And you know that just by, you know, asking the person who would know all these questions and it kind of spits out something at the end. And Shree says, we've been talking about that for years, really. Yeah, we have. I've mentioned that before. Thank you, Shree. Yes. So uh, that's why I wanted to talk about that. Um, finally, uh, this Friday, update episode number 12. Got about 25 disappearances to talk about. Going to go deeper into Carlos Rodriguez's trial. Unfortunately, I'll be talking about a couple of guests who have died. I'm going to go more into the Tom Brown stuff that I just touched upon. Going to talk a little bit more. Uh, got a, a lot more to talk about regarding Rebecca Gary's. Uh, all the work being done there by Twinkle and others and, and uh, Rebecca's family. Also, um, just got some information about Sean Ginyard's disappearance in Canada. Uh, his sister wrote me uh, yesterday. Uh, that'll be included. So I have about 25 disappearances to cover, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'll start the recording tomorrow. So that's all I got for tonight. I want to remind you to give this video a thumbs up. If you are listening to this in the podcast feed, once again, I want to remind everybody, this podcast, this show is going to have its own podcast feed starting in September. So you're all going to have to subscribe to it, just like you did uh, subscribe to Unfound way back in 2016, 2017, 2018, if you want to listen to the audio version. And I'll be sending out links and all that stuff. Um, so give, uh, if you're watching or listening, uh, please give this podcast, this Unfound Live, a nice review. Maybe you want to check out the join button down there. Become a member for 10 cents a day. Patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast. PayPal.me forward slash Unfound Podcast. Keep your head on a swivel. I even posted a video about that. Shree, I don't think you knew that, but I posted a video about that uh, last week. Keeping your head on a swivel. We got some new people in here. Gary, good to see you and some other new people. Thank you for making time on your Monday night. Good to see you, nephew Charlie. I, I, I love uh, seeing you in here. Thank you so much for making time. And that's all I got. Uh, you will uh, hear me or uh, you won't see me. Um, am I going to do a video version of the update episode? I don't know. Can't make that prediction yet. But you'll at least hear me on Friday. Good night, everyone. Thank you so much. Love doing these live shows, and uh, I guess we'll do it again next Monday. Why not? Good night.